Well, good morning. What's going to happen tomorrow? Does anybody know? Back to work. <laughs> we think we know, don't we? You know, it's interesting as we think about tomorrow, next week, next year, and so on like that, we can make plans, but do we really know what the future holds? And as we think about the future, how do we handle the future? You know, some people look into the future and they say, I'm going to change, you know, the way I deal with my friends. And, uh, or I'm going to quit this habit or that habit. I'm going to start an exercise program. How many have ever bought these fancy equipment then it sits? Uh, I'm going to get out of debt. I'm going to enjoy life more. Others are afraid of bioterrorism, computer problems. Remember 2000? That turned out to be a fizzle. <laughs> and um, bad weather. Finance, is everything going to be financially stable? We can go on and on like that. How do we face the future? Back in 1875, there was a 25-year-old British man. He was in hospital. He'd had tuberculosis of the bone since he was 12. So for 13 years, he'd lived with it. And it finally entered the bone of his uh, foot so bad that the doctors told him, we're going to save your life. We have to remove the leg. That's what they did back then. And he said, to be safe, we need to remove the other one. He said, no. Being a strong-willed man, he said he was not going to do that. So here he is at the age of 25. And he's in bed. And he's thinking about the future. He's thinking about what has come his way. How is he going to handle it? Well, he wrote a poem. He called it, the Latin name they call it now is Invictus, which means undefeated. And he said, out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. How is he viewing the future? He is saying his soul, nothing is going to conquer him, right? He is saying, what, I don't know if there's a God or not, but I, my soul is unconquerable. He continues, in the fell clutch of circumstance, I've not winced nor cry aloud. Under the bludgeoning of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. So he admits he's had a bad rap in life. That's how he looks. It's just chance that he got this disease. Now he's going to lose a leg. And so on like that. But he says, I am, my soul is unconquerable. What chances come my way, I'm not going to bow before it. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. You know, at 25, you normally don't think a whole lot about death. I was 25 once. And, but he was thinking very seriously about it. He was looking at it eyeball to eyeball. And he says, I'm not scared. I don't know what's out there, but I'm not scared. And then this last one really 
really sets the tone. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. So as he looks into the future, what is he saying? I control. I'm the one in charge. And nobody is going to take it from me. And yet let's look at Proverbs chapter 27, verse 1. He said, I am the master of my faith. I am the captain of my soul. How should we face the future? Proverbs 27.1 says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. That's my text for this morning. But we'll be looking at a number of other verses with that. Now as a look at that, it says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow. What's that first word? You help me out. Boast, right? What does it mean to boast? Well, I thought, let's look at some scripture, shall we? That'll give some idea. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 20. We'll see one example of a man who's boasting. Now the situation here, we'll start with verse 1. We'll head down eventually to uh, verse 11. Ben-Hadad is the king of Syria. Syria is just north of Israel. Back then, there were two kingdoms, the northern and the southern kingdom. In the northern kingdom, there's a king called Ahab. Ever heard of Ahab? What was his wife? Jezebel, right? Well, Ahab is in Samaria. It's a well-fortified city. And Ben-Hadad is outside. And he hasn't come for a friendly visit. Notice verse 1. And Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered all his hosts together. And there were thirty and two kings with him, and horses, and chariots. And he went up and besieged Samaria and warred against it. Could you say he had looked like an upper hand? It looked like he had it in the bag, so to speak. And he sent messengers to Ahab, king of Israel, into the city and said unto him, Thus saith Ben-Hadad, Thy silver and thy gold is mine, thy wives also and thy children, even the goodliest are mine. And verse 4, Ahab says, Okay. I mean, he didn't look too good for it. But Ben-Hadad wasn't satisfied. Verse 5, And the messengers came again and said, Thus saith Ben-Hadad, saying, Although I have sent unto thee, saying, Thou shalt deliver me thy silver and thy gold, and thy wives and thy children, yet I will send my servants unto thee tomorrow about this time, and they shall search thine house and the houses of thy servants, and it shall be that whatsoever is pleasant in thine eyes, they shall put it in their hand and take it away. He wanted, how much did he want? Everything. And he says, and we're going to take whatever we like. And Ahab calls his council together, the elders of the land. He says, um, <clears throat> verse 7 there, he describes that. And he says, the first thing, what he wanted, okay. I'm kind of summarizing to get down to the verse we want. He says, but this one, I'm not interested. And they said, we aren't either. And then, so he wrote, so he sends back, he says to, tells Ben-Hadad, nope. Uh, my quick uh, summary. Verse 11, then the king of Israel, answer, uh, by, see, 
Yeah, verse 10. Then Hadad sent unto him, saying, The gods do so unto me, and more also, if the dust of Samaria shall suffice for handfuls for all the people that follow me. What's he describing? He says, look at my whole army. I've got my army and 32 other armies with me. And what's yours? Just about a handful of dust. Just sweep it away. It's nothing. Ahab sends back a very interesting expression. The king of Israel answered and said, Tell him, let not him that girdeth on his harness boast himself as him that putteth it off. What's he saying? Uh, let's go to sports. There used to be a boxer many years ago that boasted how great he was, the greatest, the best. That's what this guy was saying, wasn't it? He says, I've got the strength, I've got the ability, and I'm going to take control here. So when it says boast, what's one way we can boast? We can say, I've got the strength to handle whatever happens. I've got the fortitude that I can handle whatever chance will bring my way. I am the captain of my soul. I am the captain of my fate, of, of my, uh, my soul. Let's go to another one. Proverbs, back to Proverbs, but this time to chapter 20 and verse 14. It is not, it is not, saith the buyer, but when he has gone his way, then he boasteth. What does that sound like? Somebody's gone into the market or whatever, they pick up something and says, this is a bit of rubbish, how can you charge so much? So the shop owner goes meekly, okay, I'll give you 50% discount. <laughs> I'm just playing. But then when the guy goes away, what does he say? Look at my cleverness, how clever I was. I got a deal. And he's boasting, right? He's boasting in his own or her own cleverness. So when it says, boast not thyself of tomorrow, boasting means what? Saying, I've got the strength, I've got the cleverness to handle whatever comes my way. I can do it. I've got the confidence in myself that I can do it. But Proverbs 27 says, what? Boast not. Uh, thyself of tomorrow. Now, so think a thought about that. How can I boast about tomorrow? I can speak about my, set, my strength, my cleverness, my, you know, my stubbornness, whatever. But how can I boast about tomorrow? Uh, go with me to Luke chapter 12. Chapter 12, look at verse 13 to 15. And one of the company said unto Master, speak to my brother, that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, 
For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. Inheritance money. How many court battles are there over inheritance money? I think there's a big one right now in the courts. And uh, so I get the picture there were these two brothers and they weren't getting along too well over the inheritance. The one brother says to the Lord, he's not being fair. I want it. I want some. Now it sounded like he was saying, I'm just not getting my fair share. But what did the Lord say? You're being covetous. You're really wanting more things and you're focusing on just now on trying to get everything you want in this life. He says, but sir, and he says to everybody, there's a whole lot more to life than the things we can get. You say, but a nice Lamborghini would be nice. A billion dollar mansion would be nice. But is that what life consists of? Isn't there a whole lot more to life than that? That's what the Lord said here. I came across this poem which kind of really brings it together. Whenever Richard Corey went to town, we people on the pavement looked at him. He was a gentleman from soul to crown, clean favored and imperially slim. He was always quietly arrayed. He was always human when he talked, but still he fluttered pulses when he said, good morning, and he glittered when he walked. You get the picture of this guy. He was rich, yes, richer than a king, and admirably schooled in every grace. In fine, we thought that he was everything to make us wish that we were in his place. We look at rich people and say, boy, what I could do with that money. So on we worked and waited for the light and went without meat and cursed the bread. And Richard Corey, one calm summer night, went home and put a bullet through his head. All his money, all his wealth didn't satisfy. The Lord said to this man, he said, he said, I want, he says, we're having a battle with my brother. I want the fair share. And the Lord said, there's a whole lot more to life than just getting your fair share. You are being greedy for things of this life. And there's more to life than that. The Lord then continues, verse 16. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This I will do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. There will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast goods laid up for many years. Take thine thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? Well, that brings it right to the point, doesn't it? Boast not thyself of tomorrow. Why? We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We may focus all our things in the material things that this life can offer but it can be gone in an instant. It can disappear in an instant. I mean, you, we can lose our life, we can have a financial crisis. 
my, my maternal grandfather had a lot of money in the bank. Then came 1929, it was all gone. And then he died. And my grandmother had to raise, so was it six kids? Five kids, yes, six kids without a dad. And it was a struggle. They were in poverty. So there's a lot of things that can happen in life. And the Lord said, what? There is a whole lot more to life. You know, I was thinking, if somebody lives 110 years, we say that's a long life, right? But what's 110 years in 110 trillion years? What's the difference? Eternity has only begun. Remember reading a story, uh, somebody gave this illustration. If you're going to a country and on the way, because it's so far, you have to stop by for a night or whatever in one particular place and then go on. But you're planning to live the rest of your life in another country. Where are you going to, what are you, I know how we did when we first came to Australia. We were studying all we could figure out in Australia. Tried to figure out, now what's it like to drive on the other side of the road? Things like that. And where, where are you going to put your study? The place where you're going to spend just a one night place in the motel or the place where you're going to live? Where are we going to live? This life is but a vapor, isn't it? It's going to pass away. And then there's eternity. Boast not thyself of tomorrow. Let's look at, um, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. James chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. Hebrews, James. Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, then vanisheth away. Now when you're young, I'm thinking back when I was young. I don't know if you young people think this way, but this is the way I did. Life seems so long. Somebody at 63 seemed to be ancient a long time away. You know what? You get there quicker than you think. And you find out life is but a vapor. It does, it really isn't that long after all. How old or how young. And he says here, we make all these plans. We boast in our strength, in our cleverness, in our fortitude to look at the future. But we really should be saying, where is God in our plans? We should say, if the Lord will, we will do this or that. Proverbs 27.1, boast not thyself of tomorrow. Why? What's the last part of the verse? For thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Now, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But you know what? Is chance in control? 
Who is in control of the future? You know, Mr. Henley, that's the man, the, he said, in the foul clutch of circumstance, I've not winced nor cried under the bludgeonings of chance. My head is bloody, but unbowed. I'm the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my soul. That's how he looked into the future. He thought he had the control. Whatever chance would bring his way, he would be able to control it. Look with me at Psalm 103, verse 19. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Now as we look at that verse, where is God's throne? It's a simple question, right? It's in the heavens. Let me ask you, what's higher than the heavens? There isn't anything higher, right? So that says his throne is what? The top throne. He has, and a throne means authority. He ruleth over how much? everything. You know what that includes? Me. You. He has control over everything. Something else. Hebrews 4.13 uh, we'll look at that. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. This verse says, who can hide from God? Nobody. I remember we were one time heading across the city to a, to a class. We came up to the light. And just before I did, I noticed somebody kind of spun out of the... Uh, service station, smoked the tires a little bit, then he was sitting there with the red light. Next thing I knew, he, he spun his tires. At a whole, I mean, he must like to get new tires. There was, a, it, there was smoke, you couldn't see the car. And then he floored it through the red light. Yeah, somewhere along the line, he's going to get caught. <laughs> People think they can do things to hide. They may be able to hide from a camera, but we can't hide from God. Because he is the one who is in complete control. And we know from Revelation 22 that Jesus is coming. And everyone, this is repeated places, everyone will have to stand before God and give an account for what we have done. Because he is the one who is in control. And the question we have to ask, have we left God out? The story is told that uh, this was in South Africa. An express package came years ago from England. And the man who uh, the box was for, the post office says you have to pay this small fee to get the box. He says, no way. Keep it. So it sat in the post office for years. Finally he died, so they decided to put it up for auction. One guy got curious. So he paid a little paltry sum for just a box. He opened it up and there were several thousand pounds sterling in English banknotes. For a small sum, 
He gave up a fortune. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. God is the one who controls the future. God is the one with whom we have to do. And if we leave God out of the picture, we're throwing away, shall I put it this way, a spiritual fortune. If we live only for this life, we're throwing away a spiritual fortune. Material things come with a price. They come with traps and with sorrow. And just It isn't satisfying the end. People ask, well, how much money do you need to be satisfied? More. And Paul says, having food and raiment, be there with content. What? Be content with what we have. Because, and as I look into the future, how should I deal with the future? Well, Matthew 6, 34 says, Take no thought for tomorrow, for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for itself. Sufficient unto the, the day is the evil thereof. You know, it's like this, I don't know about tomorrow. I just live from day to day. I don't borrow from its sunshine for its skies, for its skies may turn to gray. Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand. But I know who holds tomorrow. And I know he who holds my hand. Isaiah 46 says, tells us that God knows the end from the beginning. He knows the past as well as the future, and he knows them both equally well. I don't worry over the future, for I know what Jesus said. Uh, today I'll walk beside him, for he knows what is ahead. Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand, but I know who holds the, uh, tomorrow, and I know who holds my hand. In Philippians 1, Paul said, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I wot not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. As I look to that far shore, every step is getting brighter as the golden stairs I climb. Every burden is getting lighter, every cloud is silver lined. I don't, many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand, but I know who holds tomorrow and I know who holds my hand. As I think about heaven above, Revelation describes the gates of it shall be sh not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. There the sun is always shining. There no tear will dim the eye. At the ending of the rainbow, where the mountains touch the sky, many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand. I, but I know who holds tomorrow, tomorrow, and I know who holds my hand. I don't know about tomorrow, it may bring me poverty, but the one who feeds the sparrow is the one who stands by me. As I think about the future, it says in Proverbs 27.1, can we say it all together? Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. God is the one who is in control of the future. We're not. 
Don't you think we ought to talk to the one who's in control? And let him in on our life? Let him control our lives and guide us? Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this one verse. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Lord, thank you that you are a God who is holy, who is good, one we can trust to commit our lives and our futures to you. Because of your love, which we celebrate, celebrated in the, the Lord's table, how Christ died for our sins and rose again. And Lord, thank you, because that gives us hope for the future. In Jesus' name, amen.